Welcome to The Conversion Show, a podcast that's all about, you guessed it, conversions. Everything that gets you to your goal, whether that's purchase, lead capture, app install, content downloads, chat engagement, or demo requests, we're talking conversions. Hosted by Eric Christensen, CEO and co-founder of leading conversion optimization platform, Just Do Know. On The Conversion Show, Eric sits down with industry-leading marketers, e-commerce growth experts, founders, and entrepreneurs to chat all things conversion marketing. Be sure to follow The Conversion Show podcast to be notified when a new episode goes live. Like what you hear? Leave us some love with a review. And now, here's your host, Eric Christensen. Zero-party data, can we talk about that too? Yeah. I mean, the quiz is zero-party data, right? the stuff that we get when they're making a purchase in the funnel is first party data. And that's how I differentiate it. I think some people agree with me and some people are like, oh, they're the same thing. But that's how I differentiate it with um, anything that they're just very willingly giving to you in a like conversational format, a survey, a quiz, a feedback form is first part is zero party. And then um, things that you're kind of capturing within a sale is first party. So you heard it there. We're talking zero and first party data today on the conversion show. And really, where are we today? And what can you as a brand implement and take advantage of? Because we've been hearing about zero and first party data a lot, a lot of conversations, but what can you actually implement and and take advantage of today? So we have our expert here, Rita Zahir, and let's jump into it. Um, So obviously welcome. And we we kick it off with talking about your background in zero and first party data. I know it's a passion of yours. Um, I'm a geek. Yes. You're a geek. <laughs> what makes you a geek? Um, because I'm so into the idea of what's next in technology, what's next in data and, and incorporating um, that into strategy, into the creative side of marketing. So being able to do both um, and be excited about it, not just like, oh, this is something we have to do to keep up, but I'm I'm actually interested. Um, and that's why I take a lot of calls, I think, uh, from vendors and have those conversations myself. So what's next? Like, where are we today? What are you seeing in the market uh, am I crazy to say that a lot of people are talking about it, but aren't leveraging it? Um, a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are collecting it. Um, quizzes are the big next thing, right? Everyone wants one now. Um, and they ask us about it all the time. And even, you know, for some brands that I've worked with that have active quizzes, they're collecting the data, but not everyone's using it and and using it in a meaningful way. Um, So I think there's two really meaningful things that you can do with first-party data. One is um, improving the entire experience, the process, conversion rate, all of that by meeting personalization uh, expectations that are just going up every day, right? Yes, privacy expectations are going up, but at the same time, uh, customers want to feel like you get it, you know who they are, their card is refilled when they come back to your site, you don't ask them for their email because you know that you already have it, those kinds of things, you know their preferences um, and you build into that, you serve them content based on who they are and what they like. 
um, and you develop new products, again, based on the information they've given you. A okay. lot of people are, <laughs> so a lot of people are just collecting, like, what do you want to see next and not doing it or, um, or any of those kinds of things. But so like really understanding this is the information they've given you. Um, and if there isn't a, a perceived value exchange, that's when it starts to feel creepy, <laughs> right? Like every, so everyone asks me, what's that thin line between um, a, a privacy violation and feeling creepy in marketing? Um, and delivering this personalized feeling. Um, and that's where it is, is whether or not you can make the, the customer feel like you are val you are providing an extra value. You're creating that value exchange. Well, it's that one-to-one -one experience. No one wants to treat it like when you arrive on a website. People want you to reduce friction. And you do that through the use of zero and first party data. And it's, it's not intrusive. It's why when people go to Amazon, they love that they're logged in and they can, they know they have all their information, they're pre-ordering their orders, they can check out. Because they perceive that as a value. But if they went to the site and they're like, you have saved my uh, mailing, you know what I mean? If, yeah. if if you're not providing a value, if you're not making it um, more convenient, uh, faster, all those things, you're just collecting that data and then somehow only using it to further your goals, um, then yeah, that's when people are like, this, this is creepy. Why, so do you, what, why are you following me <laughs> on the internet? What is the good? What's on your good list of good use power of first and zero party data? Um, so I think one, creating content based on who the customer actually is, uh, creating customer segmentation that's actionable and meaningful. So you're um, developing partnerships, new product, content, blog content, email content that um, is based on what the customer actually wants and what they've told you they want. Um, when you're using that data and that means collecting it in a way that it is actionable, um, building models that create insights that again are actionable as opposed to just sitting there, right? And so mm -hmm. now someone feels yeah. like they gave you this info and they got nothing. Um, but there are sites you know, that help you really create a better fit model because you've given them all this very personal information about you and your body. Um, you know, we would provide, you know, Inspired provides like uh, a results page that shows you who your inner goddess is or your outer goddess or your aura. And people like that. They find that entertaining. So that's a value you're providing. Um, and the, uh, and so I, think, I think that's when it makes sense uh, in that you're providing also this entertainment value. Um, you're educating them. You're providing education. It, whether it's education, I know Third Love like really um, tries to help provide that education with their quiz when they're like walking you through and trying to find your true sizing um, in their quiz. Um, and then there's there's others that are just kind of like fun and providing an entertainment value or, you know, the well, buzzword type. You know, if we kind of dig in on quizzes, it's that you, know, you mentioned you know, we first start with the question, do people believe in first party, zero party data? Check, yes. yes. Are they collecting it? There it's like people, you know, we're, we're still working out that world 
mm-hmm. terms of collecting it. And then where does it go? So you take action on it. I think that's the other le- lever. If we go back to collecting mm-hmm. with quizzes, obviously you can go in a lot of directions. You know, yeah. What size? You know, let's find out. Let's find the right type of snowboard for you. Are are you a? Do you like to go in the powder? Do you like to go on the the groomers? You know, you can narrow it Very down. Te- there could be like technical quizzes. Technical, yeah. There can be personality quizzes. Um, so you're really getting to know who your customer is and they're giving you information that's helping you build a model, right? That's predictive so that when you build an ad or you are planning out your content calendar or you're planning out the type of partnerships, the other brands you want to work with, that you can really contour that to more of the personality, um, you know, as versus a very technical quiz that's like, um, you know, there's uh, on, I'm trying to remember the name of the running site, but uh, they, they do a really great quiz about what the shape of your feet and the, the way that you point them and how long you've been running and that's very technical and they're going to provide you a great recommendation. So there's the value, but it's going to be a lot harder for them to leverage that into developing content partnerships, et cetera. Well, uh, that gets into like consumer psychology as well as you look at it, you know, the, I'm just going through my notes and we're in previous episode, we were talking about the emotional decision-making and the logical decision-making in the, in the purchase journey. And, you know, when it seems like with the quizzes, you know, technical is going to be fit into the kind of logical thought path. And then the, the personality is the emotional trying to understand who your consumer is. So you can then retarget them with your yeah. paid ads. I mean, it, yeah, again, it, it depends on how you use it as well, right? So if <laughs> no matter what data you're collecting, if you're not using it, if you're not collecting it properly, if you're not storing it properly, right? So a lot of people will have now started talking about CDPs. It's a, you know, big thing and mm-hmm. oh, where should we go? And a lot of the brands that I'm talking to, I'm like, you're not there yet. You don't have the internal resources to leverage that. It's just going to sit there. It's going to be expensive. Like, hey, on um, all these brands that are on Shopify, a lot of them are in Klaviyo. Awesome. Klaviyo has built in profile segments and customizable profile segments that um, really are super powerful if the data is being put into them. Um, you know, start where you are, especially for those scrappy brands that are really trying to um, test into those bigger programs um, and don't have a person that can be a dedicated BI person internally on your team. And it's just something that like one person is or two people are doing part time. Right. Um, so building programs that, again, um, are right size to your organization will one save you money. <laughs> but two, um, be more more easy to use and get used. Well, it's a very pragmatic approach you're you're presenting, which I love. You. you know, to build a sustainable business, and you know, the CDPs is another trending topic right now. We, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what to do. You know, where to store this customer data, who owns it, which platform, etc. But I love what you're saying is, look, let's not introduce something new quite yet. There's a solution for, for some of these guys. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> the, the profile segments in, in Clavio 100%. And that's why when you're doing lead capture, you can push to those profiles segments. And just really 
even the predictive analysis that you could build in in Clavio is is really powerful. But again, it's like you have to put good stuff in to get good stuff out. Um, and and that's where like a lot of startups are not even capturing things like what was the original source medium um, that drove this email sign up. Now you have this really profitable email customer <clears throat> and you don't know where they came from. And that's a very easy thing to capture in Clavio. Um, but it's not going to automatically do it. You got to you got to really like build out those segments. And um, the other you thing by is, chance went down at you didn't go to the Clavio event in LA, did you? Like a month ago, two months ago. Uh, the yeah. LA. The, we we were there, and they yeah. it, was, um, it was a great event. But they were lot of was talking about their main their big focus and push right now is to become the CDP. And they are investing heavily <laughs> in technology partnerships like Justuno to start piping in as much visitor data as possible so they can they can be that hub. Yeah, I feel like I had a lot of, I mean, we oh, across time have worked with Clavio for a long time. Um, and so at these bigger events, I've had a lot of meetings with Clavio to say like, how they're pushing into that. And what are the steps that people can take right now um, before all of that is developed? Like they have a lot of powerful tools built into their platform that you're already paying for. Um, so getting their customers to use that, but then also identifying, um, like you said, what partnerships they need to develop and what internal tools they need to develop. And, you know, they're always asking me like, um, what would it take for you to push to get us uh, to be the your SMS provider, for example, right? Um, and and for me, again, the there is technology out there that's doing such a powerful job of ID resolution. So yeah, it's great that you have all this information on your customer. Um, yeah, it's great that you have personalized segmentation messaging and funnels and that's awesome but how are you delivering that if you can't identify customers on your site only 10 to 15 percent of them ever sign up um cookies are are deprecated on every channel like so um having that piece in in place and that's something that i've been talking about for way <laughs> before the ios changes right um is is going beyond the cookie is working with technology partners that are helping you do that piece um so you know the retention.coms of the world uh, wonderkin uh, formerly bouncex some of some of our favorites that um really do that piece well uh and that the clavios and the attentives and the <laughs> postscript guys haven't started doing yet haven't built that piece out yet so well, we're still we like to think we're this <clears throat> this industry of e-commerce has been here forever, but it's still in its early stages. And it evolves so quickly that yeah. sometimes when I meet people, because I I have a ton of I don't even want to say how long I've been. Right. But let's say let's say it's over a decade. And then I talk about, um, yeah, I have over a decade of experience. OK, cool. What were you doing 10 years ago that makes a lot of sense now? right? Nothing. <laughs> Just the general context of how things evolve, um, the understanding of how things work together, uh, some of the kind of intuition of what could be something 
based on seeing Facebook go from a platform that absolutely drove no revenue <laughs> to a platform that drove like 80% of a lot of companies revenue for a long time. Yeah. Like seeing that transition and saying, okay, that could happen here, here, and here. Um, so that's, that's the only thing that having that much experience does in a field that's changing so fast that 15 years ago, what I was doing doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. You know, well, in that regard, when you think about what actually is still true today and is true in all retail, is it's the customer service. It's the customer experience. Experience, customer experience. And if you look at what Tony Shea at Zappos focused on, if you look at what you know uh, Jeff Bezos 15, 20 years ago at, at Zappos, uh, Amazon, what he was focused on, it's all about the customer. And the customer experience, and as you were you alluded to earlier, you know, zero and first party data is how we can create a customer experience that people expect to have to today. Yes. You know, Ten years ago, people didn't expect. You know, when we introduced pop ups 12, 13 years ago, mm -hmm. it's like you know they're vastly different than they are today. But where they are today, they're actually be quite different in another year because of what we're able to bring in with that personalized experience and and they're going to be evolving even more now right with everyone's talking about generative ai and what does that mean for um, personalized experiences and and really being able to predict what a customer is going to want um and the type of conversations they're going to want to have um and so i'm really interested in that on my geeky side but saying like with a grain of salt is that it's not it's not there yet, right? Some of the predictive AI stuff is is doing amazing things, but well, you we look at the foundational elements that we still need to cover. You know, people have said yes, this is important. They're starting to capture the data, but how we take actionable items on it is still are still learning. Yeah, we're in the test and learn. And so with with that test and learn, what are some other areas that people can test and learn that you're seeing? um success you mentioned you know it's important that we we capture these uh these data points and push them back into to clavio into the, the the right profile segments yeah so there. um I, I i'm always asked like what is something that you've done recently that you're like wow i'm proud like i did that <laughs> one of the things i did was um really early before um, the IOS changes, well, as they were coming down the pipe, I started saying, who are the vendors and the tools and the partners out there that are really trying to tackle this now? Because the core of um, conversion marketing, um, acquisition marketing is targeting, right? And, and leveraging data to build really good customer segments. Um, and it feels like we could lose a lot of that. So working with partners, um, you know, I've worked with uh, Genius AI, for example, and they'll come in, um, take all our first party data and our zero party data, um, and then layer on third party data, things that the platforms used to do for you in the background, mm -hmm. you didn't really know what was going on, but that's what they were doing, right? And now they're doing it for us. And we're building these really powerful seeds and uh, lookalike audiences, um, and then using them in all the platforms. That I think is something um, 
that there's a lot of vendors that are doing it in different ways and basing it on different data points that are um, is something that's super powerful. Um, so I think testing into that, using that to diversify your channels um, and not be so dependent. I mean, at a certain point, people were dependent on Pinterest and then the, the ground fell through on, on, on Pinterest. People were printing money on Facebook and then they feel like, oh, all of our targeting methods are gone now. So, you know, we have to evolve. So you can you can make up some ground, right? We made up a ton of ground. Our um, our prospecting audiences convert even higher than prior to iOS changes because we're leveraging first zero and third party data to build these lookalike audiences. Um, but at the same time, we're pushing into, and I'm always an advocate of saying, who is the new guy that's um, leveraging their own third party data? How is Critio leveraging their data? What is um, you know, Google's doing all these uh, events now to really talk about how they're leveraging um, AI and their own data to do more predictive modeling, to build that in, to build those tools in so they're easy for any size company to use. Well, as we look at you know, customer acquisition costs, you mentioned look like audiences and, you know, the general ROAS conversation, you know, if you're capturing that first party data on site, you can pump that back into your paid campaigns for suppression lists, uh, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you've always been able to do exclusions and like all of those things. Um, but if you and and to retarget those people if they haven't converted, right? And and all of that. And I think that's still a viable option. Um, but I think the idea of prospecting a very targeted audience is the thing that people um are are missing right? The ones that are saying, oh, it doesn't work anymore. The reason it's not working is because you're, you're, you're not, you don't have the same ability. Um, and Facebook will tell you, like, just uh, let the machine learning, like, figure it out, do the broadest audience possible. Everything is broad, everything in one thing, like, mm -hmm. um, and that's good for them, <laughs> right? Uh, and over time, it will learn, and it'll optimize, and, like, you'll get to the place. But if, if from the beginning you're creating um, much better seeds that are targeted and not just targeted at customers, but your most valuable um, customers and people that look like them and behave like them and the model predicts that they will have the same LTV, that's powerful. So by, by collecting more zero party data, your, your customers that have paid, have converted to a sale if you're collecting more zero-party data along the pathway, you then can have more to analyze. So you as a digital- You can build a better model. Yeah. You can build a better model. It'll be more predictive. Um, yeah. We, I mean, I have seen audiences um, that we built from these seeds um, perform better than things that were um, higher even to iOS. What, what do you call it there? A seed? Uh, yeah. So- um, in Facebook Meta, you upload these, <laughs> you create a seed, and it builds an audience, right? It, uh, it grows. It, it builds an audience, and, it's, and it grows, right? And um, so, so that's what we do: is we're using the data to build a model to say this is who the the person is. And of course, those audiences are more expensive, but with their conversion rate being so much higher. Mm -hmm. uh, the ROAS is still significantly higher. 
Um, even in Google Analytics, our last click attribution, um, the, the conversion rate is higher because the, the targets are so much more succinct. Um, and that's something that's scalable and uh, profitable as opposed to kind of just, <laughs> we're, gonna buy our way. we're gonna buy our way into it. We're gonna throw as much creative and, and creative testing is important, um, but know what you're testing and document what you're learning um, to iterate based on that as opposed to we did this, now we're gonna do this completely different thing or we're gonna do that or we're gonna keep testing the same thing. I don't know, <laughs> um, and not know and not get to a place where we understand whether it was successful or what was successful. With the, with your, your seed, you know, I, I like to, in any website, 99.9% .9 of websites, and I'm having this discussion with different people, we feel yeah. could be optimized further. In one- Probably and, 100%. Yeah, probably- Of the ones I've seen, yeah. Yeah. And so there's, in any business, there's low hanging fruit. Like literally, I'm sure if you go in and with different clients, just that immediate, I mean, like, Oh my I get God. so excited. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. it's a you, it's an orchard. <laughs> exactly. You 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 don't have to build these complex strategies for clients. Oftentimes it's let's start here. You know, let's get a few seeds from low-hanging fruit and let's go plant them in Facebook. Um right. with that in mind, you know, with these seeds, can you I'm gonna put you on the spot here, but mm -hmm. You know, what are some other further examples or or not maybe examples, but if I'm a digital marketer and I'm thinking, okay, where should I like, what, 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 you know, where should I start? What should they be looking for? Do they look at their sales analytics? Do they look at, you know? Um, I, I think that analytics are obviously the first place that you look at when you're doing an audit of an organization and understanding what's been successful and what hasn't. Um, but also for me, a lot of times when I see smaller companies or companies that have been running so fast, they've kind of been using what they have at their disposal um, as opposed to thinking, what can I build that's going to A, scale and like be self-sufficient kind of. Um, so one of the things that you can build is true customer segmentation. Uh, a lot of companies sort of make up some very intuitive feeling customer segmentation. Um, this is Sally. She likes these products because, and you know, and maybe they have some very minimal um, information from her that they know, like where she lives in the country or whatever. But they don't know if any of those aspects of her are truly predictive. So when I talk to um, companies, the first thing I say is, even if you've only been around for a year or two, you probably have enough customers to understand who your customers are um, and build customer segmentation that's actionable, right? It doesn't matter to me um, if something is not predictive, if where she lives is not predictive, it just happens to be that, um, you know, we've had more penetration on the West Coast because we're headquartered on the West Coast, right? So like, that's not predictive and um, and that shouldn't really go into the segments. But things like what um, what channel did they come in on? Um, what time of year was there? Like things, and it's going to be different for each brand likely, but that really 
influence their behavior or are able to predict. And then you can build meaningful LTVs by segment. And eventually you can start to say, okay, we're prioritizing these customer segments. Not only do we wanna have really targeted um, advertising and messaging where we're targeting only the people who are in our customer segments, but we're gonna say this uh, A segment is our highest LTV. And if we have to break up our budget, we're gonna, we're gonna do weighted CPAs or whatever towards this. Um, so I think that's the first thing people can do is build true meaningful uh, customer segmentation that's actionable. I think that that speaks true to one of my beliefs when you start talking with customers. It's like, okay, well, who's coming to your website? Sure. So that's the basic question. You know, mm -hmm. what is your percentage of unknown new visitors to repeat visitors? And then those repeat visitors, how many of them are still, still have not purchased or are customers? You break into those three, right there, oftentimes that's a first, a first step. Yeah, it's just hard because um, a lot of times the technology is not there for most of these companies that maybe don't have multi-touch attribution and cross-device attribution um, and are, are using a lot of last-click attribution. And um, the thing that I'm spending my most time reading about and studying is, is GA4, right? Because that's going to be the thing that's... Um, available to this size company um, and how is that gonna influence cost device and multi-channel and, and those kinds of things um, and really understanding multi-touch attribution, whatever, um, how we're getting closer to that. So I think that, that that's the piece too, is people are dependent on um, less than stellar sources of, of their data now, but because that's, that's where they are in their journey. It doesn't make sense ROI-wise to go and uh, get a huge, really expensive multi-touch attribution tool just yet. If we talk about where the customer is, you know, mobile first is, yeah. it's unbelievable what we're yeah. seeing. The shift is, is I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, we all knew it was gonna happen. You know, it's been talked about for many years, but when you look at sites that 70% of their traffic is on mobile, and you know, even our own personal yeah, almost all the sites, <laughs> all the sites I manage are, um, you know, the brands that I'm talking to, like they are at a minimum seventy percent. Minimum seventy. I mean, that right there is a a whole nother episode. You know, what trends are you seeing there? Like, how are people like? How, you sit down, like, you know, our minds are around desktop. Now you're gonna have to like complete shift to mobile not just with you, but with leadership in the company too, and focus and priority. How do you approach that? So I, I feel like a lot of people have already made that shift, maybe because personally they've shifted their habits and that's what it took to understand that is, um, is, uh, is well, that's how I shop now. And I finally feel safe. Right. And a lot of the things, um, did come into place that would help that process. So the, save payment methods, um, shop pay, for example, and all those guys, like everybody has that now, um, those shortcuts that make the, it faster. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, a lot of companies are spending the time and resources to finally improve their mobile experience. 
Um, the other thing is that the marketplaces, the social marketplaces are advancing so quickly. So the meta shops um, where that mobile experience is usually two to three times at least faster um, and easier because all your information is saved um, than going from an Instagram ad to your actual website, your mobile website. Um, and so I've seen people implement that and see conversion rates skyrocket immediately without even doing much work there. So um, understanding you know, how your customers want to shop and then prioritizing, because there's a million things you could do to make the mobile experience better. But like once you understand what they want to do. Um, the other thing is I've always been, and it's probably because um, at some point I really focused on mobile apps. Um, I led uh, marketing for emerging and mobile at uh, Symantec for their Norton customer stuff, right? So this is a long time ago and I was really like, this is it. Um, but the mobile experience is, is improving so fast on apps um, that it's starting to make sense um, a lot earlier in the lifespan of a brand to launch their own app. Um, than it used to in the past. The other thing that's speeding that up is all these companies that are really helping you build apps by flipping a switch in Shopify, right? So Tapcart's a big one in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. we use Tapcart. Uh, we launched an app with them um, and I'm encouraging another brand right now. We're in the process of considering it, but the amount of um, work they do, the resources they provide, the back, like, it, it makes it so easy and affordable to test into that, that it's almost like, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> why wouldn't you, if you can test into it um, at less than a cost of doing a new display ad on this network or testing out a new um, direct mail campaign, it is substantially less than that. So if you're going to be doing testing, um, test there. Like, I think, I think that's really interesting space. Um, it's just that people, you know, uh, with an, with a mentality of like, I don't want to have that many mobile apps. It's like, that's great. That's you. <laughs> I, that's why I was slow on SMS marketing of like, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. I'm like, I don't, I would don't want brands texting me. So why would anybody Do want you that? today? I still don't want it. I still don't want it, but I sign up for it. <laughs> I sign up for a lot of them um, because I want to understand, you know, how it is. And I've seen brands um, really uh, fundamentally change retention through leveraging SMS powerfully. Uh, we 10x the revenue um, <laughs> in a pretty short period of time that we were driving from the SMS channel uh, by making some, some changes. Uh, implementing a lot of cool triggers um, for not just browse and cart abandonment, but also something's back in stock, something's really low in stock, there's only this many left, or you viewed this product five months ago um, and now it's dropped in price 2% or more, we'll send an automatic triggered uh, SMS to you if you're signed up at the time that you last interacted with the website, right? So yeah. that's that's best suited to you. So those kinds of things that are really automated and can scale without having to add resources. I don't need a new designer um, just because the volume of SMSs are going up or the volume of triggered emails are going up. So really building that in, um, I think that's a, a huge thing that smaller companies can do that are resource thin. 
automation is automation. is what it comes down to. And that's what email automation brought to the market. You know, if you think about yeah. you know, HubSpot, you know, Clavio didn't even exist then, you know, yeah. you know, they introduced this whole concept of, of automation and then and scale that at that rate. Now SMS is introducing it, you know, and now, you know, in our world, our space, we're bringing that to the automation of the conversion on site. You know, this whole workflow logic is the tools that digital marketers need. Absolutely. And um, again, it's scalable. A lot of people build for growth, immediate growth. Like how can we get growth right now? Um, but build programs that are not scalable. And, and automation not just adds a layer of personalization, right? So you viewed this product, this exact product, and here are five others like it. Um, within a day of you viewing it, that's a very personalized email. Um, and it's gonna improve your email deliverability if you're sending a bigger volume of those. And you don't need a person over there creating that email and sending that email. It's very scalable, right? So I like I talk like about when it comes a lot. product recommendation, you know, whether it's in an email or it's on site, is I like when there's logic behind it. Yes, absolutely. And that logic yeah. comes from data versus a marketer saying, I've got too many of these in inventory. I'm forcing it on oh, you. That too. That's you know, a, you know, as we get I mean, it, I'm always gonna sneak one or two of those. Yeah. It's gonna be a mix. That <laughs> there's always like, I know I know that's a high margin item. Come on. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always gonna be one or two of those, right? That's because you gotta weigh the the values, right? You're providing value to the customer and you're providing value to the marketer as well, right? So, but again, if you're not leveraging any data and you're just delivering things like, um, I've told you that I'm shopping only for my kid on your website and you're like delivering men's uh, jackets, like in email, that, that's right. That's, you're wasting my time. You're wasting your the data you've already collected for me. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, again, that value exchange. Um, but yeah, building scalable automation um, that is personalized, that that value is, exists. If, if we step back one one step to Tapcart, because you, you, you posed mm -hmm. the question, and it's a question I've had, is the desire for a consumer to download an app or for all their intent purposes that day is a one-time purchase what are you seeing in that regard um so still early days yeah. but i think i think it depends on the on the company and depends on the organization if you're a marketplace and i've just discovered you because of this one product i want to buy that's like a wellness product and i feel like i'm going to continue making purchases I want them to be fast and easy and here's all my uh, loyalty points are here and I get an extra discount from the app. Um, but I think for some like maybe fashion goods or brands that sell very specific items, it's less so, right? That doesn't quite make sense for the first purchase. But I think it's, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, sorry. But I think if, if you are working towards increasing things like 90 day repurchase rate, if that's an important metric to you that you're you're working towards, then from that first purchase, then segueing into conversations about why the app is so powerful and um, more than just a place to make purchases, but 
interact with content. And here you already have loyalty points from your very first purchase. They exist here in the app. They're super easy to use here, those kinds of things. Um, again, it's not gonna be every- <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's, I mean, it's along the lines of what make you're saying. Second. Sorry, it's along the lines of what you're saying with SMS like 10 years ago, like I never want this. You know, we're still early and, you know, it may be so easy to download and, you know, on our phones that, and the benefits, it's, to me, it seems like there's benefits to the customer experience, whether oh, it's yeah. if you want to track your order, if you want to deal with returns, if you want to chat with their support team, it seems like if you could do it all within their app, it would be reason enough to download. But even things that are um, basic to websites, like a lot of websites don't recognize who you are, so they won't refill your cart um cross browser or device um and an app you're they know exactly who you are they're going to deliver the exact recommendations and based on your behavior and your cart is always going to save your cart I it's mean, that's you know whatever it's also usually a lot faster than your mobile site yeah. i mean it's very rare I mean, to have a mobile site that's as fast as a mobile app we do a lot of co-marketing with great late relationship with Tapcart crew. Oh, cool. I need to recircle back around because just even what you're saying right now, I mean, there's so many benefits along with getting back to personal your party data. Yeah. And seeing like, what is the ROI there in terms of improvements to repurchase rate, retention rate, um, and then uh, acquisition rate, actually, because even for current customers, if they're coming back through a Google ad, right, you're still paying for them. Unless you're excluding them, which I don't believe in, but like, yeah. Uh, yeah, less surprise. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah different, different conversation. Well, speaking of which, as obviously we could talk forever, um, but people's workouts are, are probably done by now. <laughs> <laughs> The, you know, summarizing, I'm glad Tapcart got in here and mobile because yeah. to me, I think that's an area people can look, really see improvement. Um, clarifying question note, you mentioned 10X revenue with SMS. That's yeah. 10X, that channel of SMS. Is that correct? Or so the total revenue that SMS drove a month. We, yeah. we it. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just there's been a lot of conversation in our industry about attribution of SMS. And Last click. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, no. Just like when I talk about the numbers in growth, I don't talk about the numbers from either, any of the platforms or the tools yeah. themselves. It, I, I'm just talking about last click in Google Analytics, the revenue that's attributed to SMS. And yeah. I mean, part of it was uh, we really focused on growing the list right? Um, we tested into a lot of different strategies to do that. Um, we increased the volume of campaigns that we ran, um, the frequency that we were running like actual marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the very biggest thing that affected um, SMS growth was the triggered programs. Even the welcome trigger um, it, like started to really uh, get optimized and convert at a really high rate. Um, and so, yeah, we use uh, Wonderkin for that because their technology, again, of of the volume of people that they can send a triggered 
to, as opposed to anyone else that we used for SMS. I mean, we tested a couple and, yeah. and I've used several across many brands that I like. Um, that I have friends that <laughs> work at like these these companies, um, but the ability to say you viewed this product five months ago or six months ago, didn't buy, and now it's back in stock, and send it triggered and send it at the exact time that you viewed it. Like there isn't really anything else um, that can do that when that person is not logged in. They're not on your mobile app. They're not same session cookied like. It's been five or six months. So, so that kind of stuff, the browse abandonment, the cart abandonment, um, the price change stuff, and only sending it to people who haven't made a purchase, right? Because a lot of people are like, okay, anytime we have a price change or a sale, we we email the whole list. It's like, well, that's great. You're going to really um, teach your current customer base that you're uh, that when they buy something, it's gonna, <laughs> it can easily go down in price. But if someone is on the fence and you're only emailing them about the one product they viewed, um, that's super powerful. And then, you know, playing around with those triggers of like, well, we want to test into this new product line. We want to order really small amounts. Everyone's having all these um, fulfillment issues anyways. Uh, let's, let's use this to kind of track anyone who viewed the product and let them know it's sold out and then let them know it's back in stock if we have enough volume of people to do that. So again, like really having fun and testing and building those relationships with these partners. Um, so they're not just vendors, but they are partners and they and you're talking to them about best practices, right? Like uh, these guys have 500 customer e-commerce customers. What are the, what are you doing with Nike? <laughs> I want to I want to learn, right? For my small brand that's like <laughs> a Well, dog. you know, you you found that success with the SMS. If if we were to wrap up to today, where where would you where would you if you had next week to where you just pause and focus? You said you're like you you've been doing a lot of research, studying. What's exciting you? Like, what's your most exciting thing for you personally? If you could pause everything and focus on for one of your sample clients, get all the noise out of the way. You're like, oh. <laughs> is it SMS? Um I, it's it's funny because I'm excited about all the noise, right? Yeah. Um, I think top of mind for me, um, I, I drank the Google Kool-Aid so long ago, like a decade ago, right? I was like, yes, they're going to, and when there are problems, they figured them out. Um, I think YouTube as a channel, um, whether that's long form, um, a lot of people are doing ads now that are like an hour, two hours long. Um, I, and, and people are watching it, right? There's, there's one famous one that's like four hours long and it had, um, I don't know, 5 million people view it or something, something crazy, right? So there's that. But I also think what they're doing in YouTube shorts is really interesting. I think that high intent of people who are searching on even YouTube shorts, um, that that is, is super powerful. If I could just spend some like dedicated blackout time um, on like the new AI tools that have been um, developed within Google and YouTube, um, on leveraging data. And again, you know, on the side, I'm like teaching myself GA4 as fast as possible. Uh, and hopefully everybody, everybody already has that uh, set up and implemented and tracked. No, no, you are so onto something here. I'm laughing <laughs> right now because I had you, I, I have YouTube on my TV. I have YouTube premium, so I don't have to watch ads. And I was, um, I was, it knows me. So it suggested uh, halibut fishing. 
and there and the thing about halibut fishing is that you really need live bait uh, to catch halibut here in the bay or outside of it. And there was a a video for a lure for halibut, a lure being not fresh live bait. Yeah, and I watched the video. Building ads into the programming is super interesting. It's, um, and it's because at the end of the day, like these other programs, uh, platforms evolved into marketing platforms. Google starts as a marketing platform. It understands what marketers want, what marketers need. It develops into the tools so quickly. I mean, you know, we're still waiting for targeting tools um, in, in TikTok, right? <laughs> as we're like pushing well, it there. People are doing it. They don't even realize it because they're passionate about it. I mean, these were some fishermen. I literally rewinded it. Because in the beginning, they said, hey, here's our lure. It was like sea bass or something. It was something. And I got the URL. I was on my couch, opened up my phone, and I searched the. I went to the URL, and guess what? It said, we, we're currently setting up our website. You can buy it from us on eBay. So I went to the eBay store, and they're in wow. Europe. And I was like, ah, never mind. But had that been set up properly, I would have ordered that lure right there. Yeah, I think I think there's something really um, powerful and interesting happening there. So if if I was gonna like put my chips somewhere, okay, um, <laughs> back you on it. <laughs> Good, great, yeah. yeah no, okay. and then you know my I have a nine year old son, and so his big thing um, used to be TikTok, and it whatever still is, I guess. But um, YouTube Shorts, he is spending a lot of time when he's allowed to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> on YouTube shorts and it got me to transition and to try to like get in there and test and understand and like just see how are they changing the content um, they aren't the you know it's I agree with you it's like oh they're ripping off so and so but they they're they're kind of cleaner shorts yes. in a sense and but they need to update them more often because they have the same one showing for months at a time right. I, they need a they I think but you know obviously I, I think you're right. There's something going on there and you heard it first here. Yeah. <laughs> and just the tools here. <laughs> that they're giving you to create content inside the platform and create um, optimized content based on machine learning. Like that is very interesting. Um, again, because they're building it from a marketer's perspective as opposed to like an entertainment platform or a social media platform, whatever it is. Um, they're coming at it from a different lens. Um, so I feel like they get there faster. Yeah. All right. We'll keep an eye on it. Well, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun. Good feedback there. And uh, enjoy the conversion show. We have more episodes coming down the pipe here. So please uh, subscribe and we'll get, get your alerts. And also, speaking of YouTube, we this will be up on YouTube. So maybe we'll do a, okay. we'll do a YouTube short, talking about YouTube shorts, and upload this to YouTube. How about uh, that? Kismic. Perfect. Okay. And, <laughs> okay. And we'll tag it with everything properly. All right. Well, thank you and, and have a great day, everyone.